Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 322, recorded July 12th, 2020. So, despite Ken's objections, he was very upset about this choice, but we've decided to skip issue 45, which was the Voodoo Planet reprint, and we're doing uh, Gold Key 46, 47, 48 today. Yeah, well you can't do gold too many times. Yeah. It was kind of funny that they picked that one out of all of them to reprint. <laughs> you think they could have picked a better one than that? Now, mind you, they did reprint a fair number of issues, but right. why that one? I don't know. The Spock's brain of Gold Key. <laughs> I still think it's kind of funny. <laughs> I love the paper mache planet and them destroying all the monuments and stuff. I like it. Uh, it's silly goodness. There you, uh, okay, that's fine. That's whereas whereas these three issues episodes also delve into the silly, but I don't think are as good. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I gotta say, for comedic value alone, the big head Spock issue, uh, which is forty six, uh, has got to get bonus for visual chuckles. I did smile a few times. I will admit. Yes. For those of you that may not have the comic, but just go out and get it. It's just worth looking at. Uh, Spock spends most of the issue with a really big head, and it's just comical. It's because he's so smart. He is that smart. But it's like, uh, what, a bobblehead? Or, uh, it's just, yeah, just... Bo- bobblehead would be a good good representation. Yeah. So a normal-sized body. Or, or one of those Funko Pops. One of those Giant Funko head. things. Giant the... head. Although it's not quite that big, but... It's, yes, it's pretty it's big fun. and pretty fun, pretty, pretty funny looking. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So that'll be 46. And then we'd do 47 and 48 as well, which I don't think are as silly as the first one. But No, but that was actually that was one of the redeeming qualities of, of 46. 46. Yeah, I agree. At least you could laugh at the at the visual. Right. Yep. All right. So shall we get started? Let's do it. All right, so issue 46, this is Gold Key. Uh, I did not catch the date, but uh, the writer August was... August 1977. Argo, thank you. August 1977. Our writer was Arnold Drake, and the artist was by Alden McWilliams. All right, so the cover shows some green aliens zapping Spock's enlarged head. All the while, Kirk, McCoy, and Scotty are watching. So the gold key issues always start with a splash page. This one shows the big-headed Spock condemning Kirk to death for plundering his people. And we're not talking Vulcans. We're talking about the little green guys. Um, All around them, we see those little green aliens. And some of them are even holding back what looks like attack alligators with spines. Animals, Animals, to me, was the best part of that page. Well, aside from big-head Spock. Anyways, now the story starts. 
So all aboard the Enterprise, uh, the crew is getting ready for the physical and mental pain that comes with the day-to-day warp travel. The Enterprise blasts through space. The whole crew are gritting their teeth and grimacing. Uh, Once they come out of warp, they scan the nearby star and see that it's about to go nova. They find that one of the planets in the solar system is advanced, and they go to offer aid. When they beam down, they're greeted by some small yellow aliens, and they look like cavemen, not advanced beings. They capture the Starfleeters and climb an odd-shaped stairwell, and they're put into a cell. Once alone, Spock realizes that they're in what a 20th century contemporary might call an escape room. He figures out the puzzle, and the floor then turns into an elevator and takes them down into the advanced civilizations below. Here, they're greeted by the leader called the Grand Riza, and he explains that since Spock solved the puzzle, then he is now appointed the Wu-Tab. And he states that uh, the Wu-Tab is going to be used to upload the planet's central computer databases since the diminutive aliens are not able to download it into themselves. Spock agrees, since the computer is the complete history of the planet, and he does not want it destroyed along with the rest of the planet due to the Nova. Uh, There is one good page in this, and that it's a little side story where we learn that after the computer was built, you know, years ago, that the people stopped learning anything for themselves since they could always just Google it if they ever needed to know something, which I thought was quite good since uh, that's kind of where we're at now with our smartphones. Anyways, back to the main story. Uh, The transfer into Spock's brain works, and his head grows larger. He then starts to act really weird and accuses Kirk of trying to plunder his people, and he orders them to death. After much back and forth, Kirk is able to kind of break through the unexpected brainwashing by giving him an order. And then that triggers something in his Vulcan upbringing that he cannot not follow. So then he kind of like wakes up. So he's back to his normal self. Spock then devises a way to transfer the Wu-Tam computer uh, into three different native aliens. And they do this by using the machine plus some good old-fashioned can-do-anything mind-melding. It works, and the three aliens that get the power now have larger heads, uh, and they're able to then get onto escape ships, and they're able to escape their planet before the Nova. The end. These guys are like little kids. They're like little guys from uh, the Wizard of Oz, Lilliputians or whatever. Lilliputians is what I kept thinking of, yeah. Uh, Yeah, because... It's, there's when Scotty and and McCoy and Kirk are fighting these guys are just throwing around like little kids. Anyway, so to big Scotty's, head Spock, big head Scott, Spock. To Scotty's credit, he never spikes any of them, <laughs> or talks about spikes. Which is a little ooky. Yeah, well, it's it's very unbecoming of Scotty since that's always his first thought. I'm <laughs> going to spank these kids, <laughs> but here he doesn't do it. But I see that Scotty gets a ripped tunic. A la Kirk, so he because well, he, re- he gets he gets zapped. Scotty really is, really is uh, the hero of this story. Uh, yeah, so right, so there you go. They allow Spock to be zapped, and uh, 
anyway, so but but like Spock's brain, a uh, a different civilization or something grabs Spock. He's so smart, and he's their new leader because I think that's what they, they took his his head, they took his brain to run whatever that civilization's main computer was or whatever right. in the original episode. And so this is a very similar thing. Oh, is that what they were doing there too? Yeah, that's. They grabbed his head, out, his brain out. That's right. And then McCoy had the McCoy I, like rigs up a remote control for his body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. But it, it it's like the infamous uh, McCoy line after they find uh, Spock's body without the brain in there, and then then Scotty's or McCoy is able to figure it out. You know, just. You know, do a little bit of tricorder, medical tricorder thing. And he says, his brain is gone, Jim. It's like, oh my god, his brain! So funny. Yeah, so here his brain is not gone, it's just bigger. <laughs> Enlarged. Because all that knowledge was downloaded. Right, but why does his eyes get bigger and his face get bigger? It should just be his brain. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like his head is a balloon. <laughs> and they inflated it a little too much. Right. But it doesn't mess up with the proportions. It's still perfectly proportioned yep. to his head. It's just now bigger. Exactly. And especially when he's angry and like shouting things like sees them. It's very funny. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, my favorite part was when he's like doing a model of the city mm-hmm. and he looks like a like a little kid with these toys, but then mm-hmm. he's got this giant noggin. Yeah. It's <laughs> a noggin. It's weird. Exactly. So what do we have to say about this jewel? Well, ironically, it starts off so weirdly where everybody's like, Oh, we're about to go to warp drive. I sure hate this. Oh yeah. And then the, the, the text is like, Oh, the, the moving at faster than light is, causes all this blinding pain and all this stuff. And I'm like, I have never heard any of that before. It's like, who? The guy, I mean, he's just coming up with his own sci-fi stuff and trying to shoehorn it into Star Trek? I don't know. Well, here's my theory. Uh-huh. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Forbidden Planet. Very long. Very long. Well... This story seemed like it was totally channeling Forbidden Planet, which, of course, Star Trek itself channeled Forbidden Planet. However, sure. one thing they left out from the blueprint that was put forward by Forbidden Planet is that um, in Forbidden Planet, they're, when they're approaching the planet that Morbius is on, um, when they come out of FTL, the entire crew needs to get into or stand on these these platform these round platform things that look like transporter pads um and a beam of green light comes down and the entire crew has to do this and then they kind of disappear <clears throat> and then they drop out of FTL and then after they're out of FTL the green light makes them reappear again so they didn't descri- they didn't explain all of that but it's like the transitions from FTL to sublight is a big, a big deal in the forbid, in Forbidden Planet, um, and not so in Star Trek. But 
this story definitely makes it seem like a, you know, a little bit more towards what they did in Forbidden Planet. Right. Yeah, I've seen other uh, sci-fi things where they do, where the actual transition from space, normal space to subspace or whatever is oh, right. Sure. Is more uh, painful. Okay. Or discomforting, right? So, but it's not in Star Trek. And this Arnold Drake guy, he's written dozens of these comic books up until now. So why did he do it? Why did yeah. he choose his last one? Why to, decide uh, now? To do this? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he just always liked the idea. Because he definitely didn't get it from the TV show. Right. So anyways, I thought that was funny. Because yeah. I did not know what was going on when like McCoy and Nurse Chapel were like, I always hate this part. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then like other crew members are dreading it. And it's just like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It was weird. Yep. Yeah. But... Uh, you yeah. mentioned about the Vulcan mind meld. Why do they always have to bring that into it? So, so you know, so when they when they got the three Lilliputians to uh, to become Wotam or whatever, right? Um, and but they had to throw Spock's mind meld into it somehow, um, which he didn't actually touch anybody, did he? During that? No, he just touched the electrodes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'll do it. Right. And then sent. All the Wu-Tang information out of his brain into the machine and then uh, separated into the three guys. Okay. Okay. And it's funny because in that picture, it looks like one of the guys die. Like yeah, there's like one guy that's all slept over least. dead. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so how, are, how does that help anybody? I, I was thinking about this. If they just like split up all the data into three parts, you know, how are they – how does that work, right? So, I mean, how can they well, query anything if it's split out between three different individual minds? Well, it's like multitasking, Donovan. You know, so they've got uh, three cores, three CPU cores that have to be coordinated and work together to compute the big problems. That's right. all. Do, do they have to touch each other to... Uh... I, I have no idea. Yeah. But, uh, but I, obviously they have to work together. So... It's like, uh, so, so now you have three Napoleons rather than one. So I can just see them like, they didn't actually, these guys didn't even say anything. These guys that, the new Wotons, the new three Wotons. Right. So you never hear them talk and, and you don't know if they've all turned into Khan or anything like that. <laughs> um, they just move on with the story. So right. whatever. And what but obviously, when one of them dies? I mean, eventually they're going to die. They're not immortal. Well, yeah. Well, then, then what was the knowledge goes back into the machine or something, and then they get another Wotan? Well, they made a big deal know. that they could only use the machine once, so well, that's why they had to do it to Spock because they were like, we could only do this once, and it wasn't. And the only reason why Spock was able to do it again is because he was able to do his mind melt juice instead of using whatever the unobtainium yeah, well, or whatever it was that they had precious little of. Yeah, in in that case, I agree with you. Uh, it doesn't make any sense from a long term standpoint. But it seems like this has happened many times in the past. To me, I thought. In this story? Yeah, in the past. I mean, well, well, they didn't just pop up out of, you know, in the last 10 days. I mean, they have a high level of technology. I mean, a high level of knowledge. They must have built that up in the past. Right, right. Which was the side story that I actually liked. Whereas, you know, they had a society that built up. Mm-hmm. And then they built the computer that knew everything. 
and then they just stopped learning anything new or remembering right. anything. Right. So it's exactly. like they kept talking about how cars weren't working anymore because nobody knew how to fix anything. how to fix them. Nobody knew how to do the plumbing. Yeah. So uh, because uh, because they just once the computer knew it, they didn't have to know it. Which I thought was good because I mean you always hear people like, why do I have to learn math because my com- I have a calculator in my pocket, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, I thought I actually liked that part. I wish they would have delved into that more. Well, yeah. I, personally, I don't mind not doing long division anymore. Not that it comes up that often, but right. I kind of like my calculator. But yeah, yep. Or you know, all the people that are like, yeah, you know, President Hamilton. <laughs> You're like. Hey, he wasn't a president. <laughs> exactly. Let me look it up on my phone. Oh yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, but he's on he's he's on currency. He's on the ten dollar bill, and they made a musical out of it. <laughs> they don't do that for non presidents. <laughs> yeah, isn't he like? Isn't he like the only guy that's on on U.S. currency that wasn't president? Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. You never heard the term, it's all about the Benjamins? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard it. I've heard it, Donovan. Oh, oh. It makes even more sense, because Hamilton was in charge of the Treasury. So. The treasury, right. makes even more sense he'd be on, a, on currency. Anyway. All right, so back to this. One of the things I kind of skipped over in the synopsis, during all the hoopla when Spock was going crazy and kind of taking control of all the Lilliputians, the leader, the Grand Raza, Riza or whatever his name was, he actually sides with Kirk and tries to help overthrow Spock because he sees that he'll never be the leader because Spock, who has all the knowledge, mm-hmm. is now going to be leader. Yeah. But is he one of these three guys that gets zapped? I don't never, think they ever say. say. Yeah. But he so should then, be. Well, if he wants power, then yeah, but it doesn't say, and well, none of them okay. have his little crown or whatever, so well, I don't so think Well, so he's got a purple jumpsuit tunic whatever the hell it is and just before they do the transfer and then one of the three guys one of the three guys does have a purple you know a purple outfit i don't know yeah but he has like that little belt and sash and all that stuff and that crown and and these guys don't so i'm thinking that they just picked little his hat yeah okay which would not fit on that that noggin anymore it's gonna have to get a new one (laughs) I'll need a, a larger hat size, please. But anyways, I just thought it was weird that... So, are these three guys now the leaders because they have all the knowledge? Yeah. And is he one of them? That was my question. Well, he should be. But, and one of them does have a purple outfit on, but they don't say. because oh. They're not important. You've got to move on and close up the story. Speaking of rushing, mm-hmm. some busy days later. So, they don't say how many busy days... But some busy days later, they've got rocket ships blasting off and flying, flying saucers. saucers. Yeah. So they're able to create these things? I mean, were these things partially assembled before? Did they build them from scratch? I don't know. Because because they did have the technology to do it before. Sure. So. Oh, and, and also, by the way, there's, a, there's also another rocket in the background. Right. So you've got you've got one big arc like wide rocket that's all white and blue, and then you got two flying saucers, and then you got another rocket in the background. And this is what this is supposed to be, right? They're supposed to be getting the whole population off before it, you know, expl- goes all explodey. Right. Um, 
So they're able to do this in a few days. And by the way, why would you... Unless you had these things sitting around already, why would you go to the impracticality manufacturing both rockets and flying saucers? Wouldn't you like like standardize on one of them and then just you know pick one? Here's here's why. You ready? And 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 just make a lot that are just like it because you got to get a lot of people off the ground. It just doesn't make any sense. Whatever. I know but, why. I can try to tell you why. Because there's three. Rises and each one had their own design, so they each have their own technology, technology. or standard, right? And it matches their their uh, clothing. So there's a there's a blue tunic guy. He has the ah. the arc. There's a purple guy. He has the flying saucers, and then the green the yellow guy. guy has has the one in the back. Yep. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Okay, you've explained it, and you may be you. May have something there, but um, it was just for cool factor. I mean, nobody's going to think about this stuff except for us. I mean, after yeah, all. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my number one question was, where, where did these come from? And, okay, I'm sorry, but the number one thing people look up on YouTube is not, it's not the number one thing. But anyways, I know a lot of people that, like, do home improvements, uh-huh. you know, and what do they do? They look it up on YouTube to yep. find somebody that knows what they're doing and right. and. Tell them how to do it. And went to the trouble of making a video, yes. Right. So they have the Wooza who has all the knowledge. So when a car broke down, couldn't they have said, Wooza, how do I fix this car? And it would, you know, computing and print out a little thing on how to do it. How do I make so a spaceship, because, a space arc? Exactly. Just because you don't do it or don't learn it doesn't mean you can't ask the computer to help you figure it out. There you go. That was my one little like nitpick with the the whole concept of them not being able to learn any, or them just stop learning. New well, stuff. yeah, but I did yeah. I did like it for a little kid reading that. They'd be like, "Oh, maybe I do need to pay attention in school. I don't want to be like <laughs> these guys." Exactly. My last comment on this awesome issue is that I did find it interesting that in the conversations they did mention the origination of the term Nova. Yeah, that was good. That was interesting, because Nova was one of my favorite TV shows ever when I was a kid. Uh, you know, a science, mostly space show, science show on PBS, Nova. And now that I know that Nova actually means new, as opposed to something more like end, <laughs> you know, Star goes supernova or something, it makes it sound like it's the end. Right. But the idea that it, the definition is new makes a lot more sense for the TV show. But anyway, that was just something I didn't know. That's cool. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting when Spock points out that astronomers or whatever, when they saw the supernova, thought that it meant it was a new star, not not the death of the one before. Exactly, right. It's very interesting. Very interesting. You know, another thing that's interesting, and I'm just going to say this for a moment, and I'm going to shut up and let you uh, finish up with your comments. On YouTube, I watched something, uh, a little video, that was talking about gallium nitride uh, semiconductors. They're increasing popularity over silicon. And they explained what a semiconductor is. And it's like, I'm a gadget guy. I've used semiconductors like crazy, you know, my whole life. Computers, electronics, transistors, everything made with semiconductors. But I didn't really quite know what they were. And this YouTube video did a good job of explaining what they are. So there is something, there's a label of something that I've heard my enti- most of my, well, my entire adult life anyway. But I never truly knew what a semiconductor was. 
and now I know. So there you go. You can learn when you uh, reach your upper 50s. <laughs> and so what is it? So fill us in. Don't leave us hanging. Oh, well, copper is a conductor, right? or an example of a conductor. So some elements are good conductors of electricity. The semiconductor doesn't conduct electricity unless you do something to it to make it flip into being a conductor. So in its natural state, it's not... Well, actually, there's two different forms of semiconductors. But one where it's always open and the other one where it's always closed. And then I think if you apply electricity to it, then it becomes a conductor and it lets the electricity flow. But anyway, the main point is the idea that it, it, it doesn't... It can be switched between transmitting current and not electricity... Mm-hmm. that's what makes it a semiconductor. And that's what makes it so useful in making um, transistors, which, of course, is, is the basis of our technology, or computer technology, anyway. Interesting. Interesting. It, it just, it's just like, oh, so that's what that is. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have anything else, so shall we move on to the next one? Let's do it. So number 47 is titled, The Tree Bears Bitter Fruit. And this, this is an interesting one, I must say. Uh, this one's uh, published date is September 1977. And the writer is George Cashdan, based on a story by Doug Drexler. What's interesting is Doug Drexler, so it must just be coincidence, the same name, but Doug Drexler is a uh, starship designer that's worked on Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and the Orville. So, small world. Art by Alden McWilliams. It's the same guy. Uh, is it the same guy? Yeah. Wow, he's a writer as well as a, as a designer of starships? Yeah, ship designer that did all the ships of the line over the last few years. Wow. I didn't know he was a writer. Okay, great, cool. What a... What a talented man. Okay, the cover. So the cover features Patrick Stewart in an old wizard guy makeup, which dominates the top cover, as his hands are up in the air with a laser stare. He appears to be controlling three fuzzy cotton candy humanoid shapes that are attacking Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Green block text at the top says, The Immortal... Yellow text on the very bottom reads, There was no place for humans in his scheme of life. And by the way, it wasn't really Patrick Stewart. It just kind of looked like Patrick Stewart. The opening title page shows Kirk running for his life from a white, light, humanoid-shaped entity coming up fast behind him. An insert panel shows McCoy telling Spock he has to beam Jim up before he dies. The wizened old man stands just behind the two, saying nothing. On the way to Paris Colony, the Enterprise comes across what looks a lot like three space pickles. Being no fun, Sulu refers to them as giant plant pods. Spock's sensor analysis states the pickles contain superintelligent beings of pure energy. The green pickle outside appears to be inert matter, Spock says. They get closer, but repeated sensor readings reinforce Spock's initial conclusions. Suddenly, a beam of white energy from one of the pickles hits the Enterprise and spins it like a top. 
power is drained from the ship, but in short order, the pickles restore power when the ship moves away from the pickles. Rather than getting close for another look, the Enterprise follows the pickles to Beta Niobe 3, which is one of the most technologically advanced planets in the quadrant. Kirk, McCoy, and Spock transport down just in time to see the three pickles land and people moving around on flying versions of segways. The pickles break open and three light beings with humanoid shapes emerge. The landing party follows them as they destroy physical objects in their path like cars, but take great care not to harm life like the driver of the car. The beings notice they are being tailed and make Kirk's phaser disappear. After apparently satiating some appetite on all the destruction, the three light beings turn into balls of light and streak into space. Kirk and company transport back to the ship and follow the beings who kick it up to warp speed. Ohura discovers all communications with Starfleet is jammed, so they cannot report their situation. While the chase is afoot, they discuss the aliens. Spock estimates they are ahead of the people of the Federation by millions of years on an evolutionary scale. McCoy observes that makes them on par with the Organians. The chase ends at a Class M planet that has an inexplicably huge tree miles high that is growing into space. More of the pods are growing off that tree. They beam down to the surface to see the three forms walking around not far from the incredibly tall tree. Kirk conjectures that havoc would be wrought if all the pods on the tree break open to birth countless light creatures like the three they have been trailing. An unfamiliar voice comes from an old man in a purple robe, correcting Kirk that they will not wreak havoc, but will fulfill the ultimate destiny of the galaxy. The old man introduces himself as Zaphod Beetlebutt. No, not really. Ziofa is his name, and he says he is immortal. He seeded the great tree that has been growing for billions of years, and the fruit is ripening. McCoy says his tricorder reads the old man as completely human. To confirm that, the old man sees no issue with his children killing primitive life forms like Vulcans and Earthlings. He directs them to touch the landing party. The terrific trio fall to the ground, feeling the life drain out of their bodies and into the three light beings. Kirk, seeing no other way to delay their inevitable death, proposes a contest to Ziofa. Kirk, armed with a phaser, is beamed to a Class M planetoid where the contest begins. He is immediately attacked by aggressive native plants that he fights back with his phaser. Eventually he is saved by one of the life beings that sucks the life out of the killer plants but does not touch Kirk. Saved and sobered by the danger of a situation, Kirk starts to play his hunch. Kirk hangs back and watches the light being consume plants and animals greedily. Kirk contacts the Enterprise, where Ziofa is standing next to Spock and invites Ziofa to send down the other two energy beings to the surface, just to make things interesting. The other two join the first on the planet, and they consume life on the planet greedily. 
Kirk continues to somehow stay back far enough that he is not consumed himself, while the rest of the planet's life is devoured. With the planetoid now turned to a lifeless, empty rock, Kirk stands trying to breathe, but running out of oxygen. No, I'm just kidding. Somehow there's lots of oxygen, although there's no plants. Kirk stands there taunting Ziopha that his children are starting to starve with nothing left to eat. Despite Kirk looking like a juicy meal for the three young'uns, they starve amazingly quickly, and then they run into each other like a Three Stooges routine, and they explode. Ba-ba-boom. With the three children destroyed, Ziopha has no power on his own and surrenders to Spock, who puts him in confinement. Later, Kirk is back on the Enterprise, dealing with an unappetizing salad for his first meal since this whole adventure began. Kirk complains, but Spock is hungry too, and being a vegetarian is more than happy to offer to take the plate of greens off Kirk's hands. The end. This episode reminded me a lot of the Planet of No Return, or whatever that first episode was. Oh, with the, with the killer plants? Yeah, right. Yeah. And the total disregard of a planet's ecosystem, because Kirk <laughs> goes to this planet that has life, Yep. with the intent that it's going to kill it all. All these uh, animals, all these plants. Exactly. Are going to be killed by the light creature. That's part of his plan. Right. And it must happen incredibly fast. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, it's it's pretty much a green place. Lots of plants are around when he first gets there. And then, like, like, like two pages later, it's like a, it's like, like a rocky moon surface or something. Although it does still have outcrops of, you know, like rocks and things. Right. So it wasn't until the three things decided to try to eat each other that they exploded? <sighs> It's one of those things that they don't don't explain very well. So what does it say? Uh, Kirk says, uh, he, so he's taunting Ziofa or whatever. They're frantic. Do you hear, Ziofa? You played your last card and lost. There's nothing left here but rock. They're starving to death, Ziofa. Starving. And then, then Kirk thinks, uh, after the explosion, they've collided with each other. And the combined energies have destroyed them. It's like, well, why'd they collide? It's like, okay, whatever. They were so hungry, they had to eat each other. I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it, it helped explain how the threat was neutralized, and which they had to do. And had, had, somehow they had to, had to be destroyed right away to make a clean ending. Uh, and so that's what the writers came up with. Eh. Right. So can I tell you my favorite part of the whole book? Sure. And I'm not being facetious. This really is my favorite part. Um, When the three pickles are attacking the Enterprise and it's like spinning, spinning Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. on the top. Yeah. There's one panel that's turned sideways. Yes. It's just Kirk, Spock, and everybody at their normal stations. Yep. But it's completely sideways to show us how topsy-turvy the uh, Enterprise is right now. Cool. Yeah, that's good. I mean, they don't look distressed or anything. They don't. I mean, the inertial dampeners must make it pretty smooth. Exactly. You know, Spock's just standing there like nothing's wrong. But yeah, he's standing next to Kirk at the con. <laughs> Kirk's sitting in the con. But uh, but I like it. It's like turned sideways and it's in black and white, and uh-huh. uh, it's it's a good little visual reminder that the Enterprise in space there is no up and down. It's just wherever. 
Exactly. And it also fits in with how they've organized the other panels. Right, right, size-wise. Right. So, cool. Yep. I didn't care for the space pickles, but uh, but I like that. <sighs> Why did they pick space pickles? <laughs> I mean, they, like, you know, they didn't call them space pickles, but look at it. Look at it. Uh, yeah, they, they look like space pickles. Those are space pickles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could they have picked something more ridiculous a shape? Anyway, whatever. Yep. Nah, this issue was really weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so they were going to destroy that planet with the Segway people. Yeah. But they talked the wizard into going to this other planet? Is that what happened? Or well, did they just, it's like... Or did it just, like, kill a couple cars and then they took off? I, I did not like this, and I could not follow it. No. Well, yeah. It, w- was there any good reason for those for those three guys to leave that planet? I mean, just because Kirk and Spock and McCoy were following them, or Scotty, whatever. Um, yeah. That's why they left. They could have eaten more, or or, or they really right. were full. And uh, like, it's After like one okay, car? yeah, I know. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense, car especially and, given and Kirk's phaser. Don't forget about it. Ate Whoa, the phaser right out of go. hand. There you go. So, I mean, considering how much they ate at the planet later, it would seem right. like that would be an appetizer at best. Right. Yet they leave the planet that's full of all this food. I don't know. And they just head straight back to their home base? Yes. Yep. That's yeah. what they did. It's true. Well, you know, you, you had, just had dinner, or a light dinner, and you're heading back home. Right. <laughs> So at least the the second half of it, where Kirk has the uh, bright idea to stave off their obvious death, was very arena-like. The old uh, Taws episode, Arena. But right. instead of fighting, you know, Kirk on his own, you know, Spock and company on the ship, just watching what's happening, they can't do anything, and so Kirk has to save the day. I'm surprised he didn't swap Scotty in, quite frankly, uh, doing it. Scotty! But yes, they let Kirk do it. And and it was kind of a little arena-like, you know. So Kirk had to use his smarts because he could never defeat them, defeat his uh, his opponent physically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why the old man agreed to this, and then he got on the ship and they flew to there. And then after this happens, that's when they say, "Hey, by the way, we should arrest this old man." Yeah. The immortal. Yeah. Well, I mean they. Why'd they go to the planetoid? Exactly. It made no sense. They already they, had they him on the ship. They could have done that right there on the planet. Right. But, then, but but Kirk's proposing all this, and he's even proposing the place, and then the old guy's like, oh, okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, it just right. doesn't seem right. Yeah. Just not right. So yeah. the, the blonde lady that is bringing Kirk his salad dinner at the end, is that supposed to be Rand? I don't know. Rand? She doesn't look like her. No. She doesn't have the bun. <laughs> True. There's no bun. And and she's not she's not Nurse Chapel. I think in season one of Star Trek there was a similar kind of scene where it might have been Nurse Chapel. I'm not quite sure. But somebody you know, he's got a salad in front of him. Somebody brings him a salad and then McCoy is saying, You know, you're you're putting on some pounds there, Jim. <laughs> so oh, it's a really? similar kind. It's a similar kind of scene, but who is the lady doing it? I mean, it's not <laughs> Nurse Chapel. She's got a red tunic or right. a red uh, miniskirt. Right. Yeah, I think it's just uh, the 
a random server? a random the, server the lunch lady the but lunch I, lady. I i liked how she stuck around to make sure she got to hear the last little barb exactly it's like they're all laughing and she's like looking over at them like, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in on the joke <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just a food server <laughs> anyway yep. uh, yes I, I don't have anything else what else do you got I well, I kind of like that they mentioned the Organians. The writers were not completely unaware of Taws. Right, we watched it. So, you know, that's it. That's really it. That's really all I got to say. <laughs> all right, then let's move on to forty-eight. I think we should go in order. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. All right, so this came out October of 1977, and it's entitled The Murder on the Enterprise. Just real quick, I just wanted to point out, uh, I I read this earlier and I thought it was funny. It says um, in the little credits at the bottom where it talks about Gold Key and all that stuff, it says um, that the Star Trek is published monthly except for February, March, April, June, and December. So uh, That's interesting. It just seems weird, those, those random five months out of the year that it's not going to be published. Hmm. And, you know, can you still be called monthly when you're not even published even, you know, barely half the month? I mean, half the year? Yeah. So. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. I never I never read that part before, and it was interesting to me. I, I have not noticed it until you just pointed it out myself. Right. I do like that these issues now have um, credits on them. So the, the 47 and 48 now have uh, the writer and art in the credits of the book, which is uh, a little unique for Gold Key. And the time, right? Uh, during the 70s and earlier, they didn't they didn't ever credit the writers and stuff. Right. All right. So this is written by Arnold Drake, uh, art by A. McWilliams, uh, story consultant by Doug Dexler. So the cover shows uh, Kirk holding a dead man in his arms, and then around him we see the heads of a man, a woman, an Andorian male, and they're all kind of floating around him. And then the Enterprise is in the back, and the caption reads, Murder Aboard the Enterprise, which is the title of the issue. So we get the splash page, as always, and this shows Kirk walking through a corridor holding the same dead man in his arms. And then around him, we still see the same three people, the, the man, woman, and, and Dorian. But then we also see Spock and McCoy behind them all. And Kirk is telling the group that one of them is the murderer. So the main story starts, and it's the Enterprise arriving to what's called Moore's Planet. And there, they're greeted by his aide. The aide shows them that the... Um, the aide then shows them some plants that Professor Moore has been studying before taking them to the man himself. While they're flying in a little ship to the to where Moore is, Kirk and Spock have a conversation in private about why Moore would study plants when he is a geologist. So after the short flight, they arrive to the Firefalls, and there they meet Professor Moore himself. Kirk has some history with him aboard the Farragut, which I thought was a nice little nod. But then Kirk informs them that uh, they're to escort Moore to a conference at Beta Agara, uh, along with some other esteemed scientists. 
So uh, a little bit later on the Enterprise, they're now heading to their last stop, which is, again, Beta Agoria, because they've already picked up the other scientists. Uh, we meet the Andorian named Dr. Stoy Arca, and the woman whose name is Professor Emily Bowers. And during all of the meet and greets, these two people seem to really, really hate Professor Moore, and they're not shy about vocalizing it. After the dinner, they retire. Kirk is then summoned once it is learned that Moore has died. McCoy finds out that the pudding cup that he had eaten uh, as a midnight snack was laced with poison. They then also find a ripped piece of paper that has some partial words on it. Spock then takes it upon himself to analyze the paper to try to figure out what the missing half of the message might be. The investigation into who killed the professor drags on, with even a failed assassination attempt on Kirk and everything. But all this excitement, it's incredibly boring. And eventually, the long, drawn-out con conclusion happens, and we find out that it's Moore's very own aide that killed him. And his motivation was that he was mad that Moore was going to blow the whistle on his own tree project... Uh, I guess he was going to uh, destroy the trees or something, and uh, Dr. Moore, Professor Moore, had found out that the trees are actually sentient somehow. So uh, the aide is eventually nerve-pinched just as he's about to shoot Kirk while Kirk is giving a speech in an auditorium. And then the day is saved, and we can move on to the next thrilling comic. The end. Da, 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 da. Yes. So I skipped a lot of the investigation just because it went nowhere. They all hated him. It wasn't like an interesting like murder mystery. It was just like no random pages of somebody saying bad stuff about him. There was no, you know, they weren't even asking questions that would lead you, the reader, to be like, oh, I don't think this person really did it. It mm -hmm. was just like, I don't know. It, I did not care for it at all. Yeah. And then the whole Spock thing. With them, uh, he found a piece of paper and he was able to figure out how many digits would come or how many letters would come after the rip paper to figure out what, what the words might have been. Mm -hmm. I was, how, how did he know how big the paper was? Yeah. And I guess they use a font that's always the same, same size, <laughs> like old 3270. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the old mainframe courier yeah. font. <laughs> The way I look at it, it's like they presented three characters earlier in the story, and then there were three possibilities, and then they show you everything that leads you to think that the two people, the Andorian and the lady, had it out for him and killed him. But they don't say anything about the, the real murderer. And then at the end, it's like, oh, it's the real murderer. So you spent you know, at least half of the book trying to direct the reader that it's these other two people, but really in the end you're surprised because it's actually the guy that you met at the beginning and then doesn't say a huge amount in the middle. Um, right. Personally, I thought it was, since the, in the beginning of the book, when I was reading this, I did not like that uh, assistant guy. He just seemed like too much of a smiling, backslapper kind of guy, and although I didn't know for sure, but I, I kind of thought it was him all along. Did you? I just didn't trust him. Used car salesman. Yeah, I wouldn't trust this guy. No, no, no. 
So basically, somehow he's able to he, he, commercially, he's trying to get unobtainium or something, um, and it's going to kill all the trees or whatever. Right. It's going to ruin the planet. So, right, the sentient trees. Exactly. Right. Right. We all know there's only one sentient plant, and that is swamp thing. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought it was funny that these last few issues have all dealt with plants in some way. So we had a, a tree that went out into space, uh-huh. and then here we have uh, sentient trees. Exactly. The very first issue of Gold Key, we had a planet of plant creatures and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and spores that would travel through space and kill mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Gold Key loves them some plants. That's good. That's good. Getting the hey, how often are our are, are plant friends? Not involved in stories. Quite often. Yeah, most times. Yeah. Especially they're not, sci-fi. They're usually not the most interesting characters to get involved in a story. Little did you know that inside that pickle, little Tommy, there's a space creature. There you and go. It's going to kill us all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, how many people were traumatized eating their, their pickles at lunch that day after reading this issue <laughs> as a little kid? My God, I could get zapped by my gherkin. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, all right, so I don't have a ton to say about this. One of the things that I thought was incredibly uh, funny. What? It's not even funny. It's just kind of sad, really. <laughs> um, that they don't ever use Andorians, ever. Unless it's a murder mystery. So <laughs> the Journey of Babel, that's when we learned, that's when we met the Andorians. And it was a whole, the whole movie was a, or the whole episode was a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And then here they are again, and I'm like, are they just that untrustworthy that anytime there's a murder mystery, you're like, I bet it was the Andorian. Wait a minute. Enterprise had Andorians in it a lot. No, I'm talking about Star Trek, the original series. Up to when this well, issue was, was released. It's yeah. like anytime they had a murder mystery, they were like, well, it, could, I, it could be Andorians. I don't remember Andorians being in Taz very often. No. So, so if it was if it was truly just Journey of the Babel, I mean, it's you've only got one data point, right? And I'm saying that this is now issue 48, and it's the first time we've seen them, oh, and okay. it's a murder mystery. Okay, poor Andorians. Exactly, poor guys. Yeah, but they didn't do anything. I mean, the the, the guy was innocent. Yeah, but I'm saying they just had to accuse him. Okay, there you go. I just thought it was funny because I was already getting the journey of Babel when I read the when I read the title "Murder on the Enterprise," mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, "Okay, a murder mystery like the, oh. like that one." And then yeah. I saw that one of the main characters is an Andorian, and I'm like, yep. "Ooh, they really borrowing from that issue." Yeah. There from you that go episode. from that episode, yeah. Right. True. Good point. So we've got two. We've got two stories that uh, today that have. Borrowed from original Taws episodes. That's true. That's true. I thought it was kind of speaking of borrowing or at least having references to original Taws. I liked when Kirk was talking about his early days when he was posted to the Farragut. So I did cool. too. Yeah. I liked that. And then later in the story, Dr. Umbega is referred to. So I thought that was cool. I mean, I've heard that name before. Who is it, Umbega again? He's a second doctor. Who's on the Enterprise, and he's a That's black. Right. He's a black guy. That's so right. He was in a couple episodes, so we, he wasn't just a one and done character. But you know, he was limited use. Right. But it, it was good to have a you know acknowledge that there's a second Doctor. 
say but, you'd probably want more than one on a ship with that many people. Right. And then also they have a throwaway line about Sulu being a botanist when yeah. they're on when they're on the planet. Which, yep. You know, aside from that, his first introduction, that's never mentioned again on the original show. So right. whoever wrote this knew Star Trek really yes, well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And threw in all these nice little Easter eggs, which I exactly. really enjoyed. That's right. And it's nice to know, finally, after all these years, what the Starfleet jammies look like. What? What their sleepwear looks like? Exactly. It, they're almost like a wraparound kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when the murder happens at late at night on the ship, they're like in the hallway in their, in their sleeping attire, which, of course, is still blue and gold and color appropriate. Well, yeah, you can't not wear clothes. I mean, you can't wear it, not wear your uniform. You have to have... At all times, even when you're sleeping. Now that is dedication. With the pips and everything, I'm sure. You don't see them in here, but I'm sure. No, you don't. But they're somewhere. Yeah. Then, of course, that made me think of the motion picture, which they were in jammies the whole time. Um, I still like those uniforms. I don't like them in the show, but I like it when they show up in the comic books. I I think it's a cool design. Mm -hmm. It's just when you're putting it on on a real actor, it's not flattering. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I kind of like Kirk's white short sleeve. Right. I kind of like that, that tunic in, in the motion picture. Okay. So what else? I don't really have anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Uh, yeah, there isn't much else to say. Uh, I will say that one of the additional reasons why I really thought it was what, William Terrans, the assistant, mm-hmm. is when he had that, that little untrustworthy smile on his face. Right, when they're and, beaming down to the planet. Yeah. Exactly, and that was kind of like icing on the cake for me, but the way they drew him in that scene, there's like wispy clouds around his head and, and kind of like white streaks across actually his head itself, but there's like clouds of white smoke to his right. That's supposed to represent the transporter effect. Is that right? It's the transporter, yep. Okay. Mm. It didn't do a good job. But, <laughs> okay. okay. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, let me see. And uh, that's really, yeah, I don't have anything either besides that. Um, yeah. I got nothing else to say. It's it's their shot at having a a, a murder mystery, which is always good if it's well done. But right, yeah, right. I completely agree with you. It's like it wasn't like they were like giving little clues. I mean, unless you count the the smirk on his face when he's being transported down, but that's not a very good clue. No. Yeah, it's just out of nowhere because yeah. he hasn't even been in it except for the very beginning. Right. Yeah, I mean that's what like Columbo and. You know, even the new Knives Out movie. Yeah. Those work because you're kind of given clues all the way through. And then when it, yeah. I mean, but they still misdirect you enough that, but when it all comes together, you're like, oh, oh right. Yeah. But they, they did well, tell you things at the end of Knives Out, which you couldn't have known. Right. I mean, yeah. The, the mistaken injection, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Uh, Spoiler if you haven't seen it. Well, by now, I mean, this episode, we're not going to post this, you know, for probably for another seven months at, at best. So, uh, 
the movie's been out, what, a year now? I mean, it's been out a while. Right. At least six months. Anyway. Which was a pretty good movie. I like that movie. Yeah, I know. You liked it? Yeah. Okay. So, that's it. That's it, man. Our three comics. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. Yep. Hopefully, by the time we air this, we'll be watching Lower Decks, probably. That should come out pretty soon. We need to talk that about should. that eventually. And they're not going to show Lower Decks at the same time as Discovery, so Discovery's probably delayed longer. Yay. I well, mean, not yay. I, that, was yay. A, that was a sarcastic yay. Sorry. I know <laughs> it sounded like I was being serious. No, I'm upset about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to what they do with the uh, thousand years in the future thing. Right. Because it really is a whole clean slate. They can do whatever they want to. So, should be interesting. As long as they bring back that Calypso episode where they, uh, they find that guy that was just lost and the ship falls in love with him and stuff. Right. It's in that, she says that she's been in that nebula for a thousand years, so that has to be resolved. I need to know where and, that thousand years comes from. And is that character... Or did she say a hundred years? She says uh, maybe a hundred years. Okay. Still, regardless. Long time. Okay, so in season three of Discovery, there is a character named Booker. Yeah, who... I looked it up. He's not the same guy. It's not the same guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so Discovery sat there another thousand years then. Right. So it's 2,000 years in the future when that Calypso minisode took place. Right. Or it could just be time travel, right? Because <laughs> it could have gone back a thousand years in the past and then just sat in the nebula waiting for it to come back. I don't know. We don't know yet. I, I want to make sure that it gets resolved. That's all well, me too. And I especially want to know how all this can be happening when we know that prior to a thousand years in the future, the Federation had time travel technology. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the decline of the Federation all came about. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. You know. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.